Are you a man looking for an intensive program to help you overcome sexually addictive behaviors? Gateway to Freedom is your answer. Gateway to Freedom is a three-day workshop for men seeking to overcome any destructive sexual habits. Whether married, single, or divorced, Gateway to Freedom will help men regain hope for a new life of purity and real contentment. The workshop is conducted by experts in the field of sexual addiction recovery with decades of combined experience. Read testimonials of workshop alone at gatewaymen.com. Get all the info and register online at gatewaymen.com or call 1-800-49-PURITY. Hi, my name is Jonathan. I'm the founder of the Gateway to Freedom Workshop. I want to personally invite you to register for our next workshop coming up December 1st through the 3rd in Texas in the lovely Hill Country. So call us today at 1-800-49-PURITY. That's 1-800-497-8748 or visit gatewaymen.com. You're listening to Pure Sex Radio, training men, educating women. Brought to you by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us on the web at puresexradio.com. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Jonathan, and we've got a special guest back with us again, one of our favorite people on the planet. We've got Dr. Julie Slattery with us. So, Julie, thanks for uh, being with us again. Good to be with you. That's quite an introduction. Thanks. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's uh, it's well-deserved. We, uh, we are excited about all the things that you guys are doing in ministry with authentic intimacy and just how God's really using you to reach so many women uh, with this great message of God's design and purpose for sexuality. And and we're thankful to have you um, just as a ministry partner with us and just all the things that God is even doing through that. So I'm excited about just um, something that we were talking about off air that is certainly all over the airwaves or has been in recent um, weeks. This issue of uh, sexual harassment and abuse and the 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 hashtag me too kind of uh, social media campaign that's been going around and and I just wanted to kind of open that up to you and we might even sort of flip roles because you were talking about maybe sort of questioning how do men fit into all this what do men think what do we do about men um, in this issue as well so let's let's dive in yeah I'd love to um, and I think most people were pretty shocked by um, just the volume of kind of the Me Too hashtag. I don't know if you heard that from your ministry, but we certainly did at ours that, wow, you know, all all my friends that are posting on social media that they've experienced some form of violation. Um, but But honestly, like from our perspective, we weren't surprised mm-hmm. because we hear those stories. And I'm assuming that in your ministry, too. Um, you, because of what you do, you're aware of the level of sexual brokenness. Um, and, um, and yeah, and certainly the abuse and the harassment falls on women a lot more. We do want to acknowledge that there are men who have been the victims of that and that can be even a harder thing. Did you hear from men that were identifying with that? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that is, you know how, um, there are just, there are these, uh, there are these things that we have normalized, and I don't mean that. I, let me try to figure out how I want to say this, because we almost have this expectation that if sexual abuse has occurred, well, hey, 
the majority of that is done against women. And mm-hmm. there's truth to that. I mean, still the majority of that kind of abuse is still done against women. But there's a significant number of men who are also in that category of having been sexually abused. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, because I think we have that normal expectation of it being done against women, there's almost an additional stigma or shame then for a man who has been abused in that way to almost feel like this isn't quote unquote normal when we're talking about abuse on some kind of spectrum. Does that make sense? And so I feel like sometimes in some ways as the floodgates have opened for women to feel like, okay, I have a voice, I can come out and I can talk about this. There might be a few more barriers to men feeling like they can come out because they feel that additional kind of stigma that, well, this isn't, this isn't the way I'm used to hearing about this or used to dealing with this kind of issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost an additional assault on masculinity, Um, probably the same way that women have a really hard time uh, admitting an addiction to pornography, because everybody assumes that's a man's problem. And if a woman has that issue, then is there something wrong with her femininity? So yeah, it's kind of a double whammy when when you say that, hey, I don't fit the stereotype. And the other stereotype is that the perpetrators are always men. Yeah. And that's not true. Um, there are perpetrators that are women as well. Yeah. Now, I do think there are um, there are some norms, so to speak, in this. And I don't know if that's the right term to use. But in terms of when you start talking about statistically and numbers and all that, generally speaking, again, there's always exceptions to this. But generally speaking, the perpetrators of the sexual abuse are generally men and the victims are generally women in terms of just the sheer numbers of, of those that have... Uh, have been affected by this. So I think as we continue this conversation here, that's sort of the lane that we're probably going to be talking in, but mm-hmm. we don't want any of our listeners to think that we don't recognize that sometimes the perpetrators are women and sometimes the victims are men. And sometimes the perpetrators are women and the victims are women and the perpetrators are men and the victims are men. So exactly. It, yeah. It's almost like um, abuse and sin and brokenness has no standard. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like it's it's across the spectrum, right? That's right. But there are patterns, as you mentioned, uh, and the pattern that obviously came out the most with me too was this pattern of women being the victims. Yeah. And uh, you know, one of the things that concerned me about the Me Too phenomenon was uh, some of the rhetoric around that, just in terms of classifying men and particularly male sexuality as always something negative, negative. Mm. Uh, and um, we heard from people that would say, men are predators, men are pigs, you can never trust them. Uh, and boy, I wondered what that felt like uh, for a godly man, first of all, to be hearing all, uh, you know, all of this violence that's been done against women, mm-hmm. but then also to be lumped in with, um, just because of your gender, you're the enemy. Yeah, well, I would say this, I think there's, I think for me personally, uh, there were two reactions. One was just deep, deep sadness because Mm -hmm. there is just, I mean, I'm even getting, I get emotional right now just thinking about it because there's so many people that have been hurt and that have had to feel like they need to carry that alone or carry it in the dark. And so many women that have um, just faced that. And so there's a deep sadness that I feel because it just shows to me how much brokenness there really is in the world around us that, um, 
that that there's a there's this sickness of sin in our world and it manifests in so many deep and dark ways that causes so much pain for so many people but the second reaction i had especially when you know when a lot of these comments come out that sort of make these blanket statements about all men you know mm -hmm. all men being pigs all men are predatory and all these kinds of things it sort of um now there's there's certainly a a natural defensive response in me but at the same time i have this recognition that i am no um i am i am not one that can claim perfection I mean, certainly my own story bears that out in terms of my history. I was a, a, a horrible steward of my sexuality for so many years and brought pain on a lot of other people um, through my, my sexual sin. But I also feel like there is a need for men who are living out a life of purity and integrity to not look at this as a time to stay in the shadows or step out uh, you know it's kind of step to the background but actually need to step to the forefront not in a combative or argumentative kind of way but just to almost raise the question to say do you know that there is a different way that is being lived by some men would you like mm -hmm. to explore that would you like to learn about that would you like to know some men that are not going to hurt you, that are not going mm -hmm. to use you, that are not going to devalue you. And so there's part of me that kind of the sadness along with this responsibility sort of have come together. And my hope is that that we can maybe help to bridge that chasm for these for these hurting people. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think there's a great need for women that have been harmed um, to know godly men of integrity and men that would use their position and their strength uh, for protection instead mm -hmm. of for harm. And um, when you meet somebody who has repeatedly been violated by men, they'll they'll ask a question like, show me, like, where is a godly man? I want to know what that looks like. I've heard of it. But, um, you know, even when I've had hope before of meeting somebody who treats me well, eventually we get to the point where that's all he wants from me. Mm. And, um, and, you know, I, I think that that's not super common, but it exists. Yeah. And I, and I look at it this way. This is why in our ministry we have such a heart for helping uh, church leaders and pastors and those within the church to... Um, to speak this message of truth about biblical sexuality, to raise up men within the church. And here's the reason why. Because sadly, there has been a lot of history within the church of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. So when, when we try to bring this message and talk about the gospel or talk about the church and, and talk about bringing hurting people into this fellowship of believers, some of them will say, no way. Mm -hmm. That's actually the very place that I got hurt in this mm -hmm. way. And so there, I feel like we have a charge and a responsibility to sort of call our brothers and sisters to account within the church and say, listen, we've got to step it up. We need to be the ones who are leading the way in this kind of integrity and safety for people to be able to heal from their wounds but also then to be able to grow into learning what do healthy relationships look like? What does it look like 
to, uh, you know, steward my own sexuality in a healthy way and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. You know, I'm thinking of a woman that I, I met with uh, who went to her pastor and said, uh, I was sexually abused growing up and I have all these wounds um, and they're impacting my marriage. I don't like sex. Um, it's scary for me. And the pastor just said, the past is in the past. There's no need to dredge all that up. Mm-hmm. Um, and advised her not even to tell her husband about the abuse. Oh, wow. um, so, you know, sometimes it's mean-spirited things, but other times it's just that pastors and other lay leaders uh, aren't equipped with how to handle that situation. Yeah. And how even an interaction like that can even be re-traumatizing in terms of telling a woman, you don't have a voice, you've got to keep this quiet, you've got to just put up with sexuality even if you don't like it in your marriage. And I think on the other end of the spectrum, certainly there's a danger there, right? And just, just kind of um, being given counsel that's sort of grounded in ignorance. Um, of just not knowing what, you know, that pastor obviously didn't know what he was talking about or, or the right direction to send. And so there can be some some danger in that. But I think also on the other end of the spectrum, and, and this is another thing that I've kind of seen with the Me Too campaign and some of that kind of stuff, is that there is a sense that, listen, if I can just get really angry and have vengeance mm-hmm. against those that have hurt me, in other words, if I can make them suffer, that somehow that will also set me free or that will heal me. There's a yeah. danger in that too. And I'm seeing that it's almost like there's a, um, as, as much as I, I want to see these, these hurting individuals be able to come into safe spaces to get healing. There can also be a, a sense of a mob mentality that begins that says, mm-hmm. you know, let's go get our torches and burn them all. You know, all men are pigs, all men are disgusting. Yeah. And then you end up, you end up taking things out on maybe some men that are good men and they're not doing anything wrong, but you're just going to kind of throw them all in the same lot and burn them all. And that doesn't bring healing either. So we have to realize there's kind of a middle ground here that says, yes, you need a place to be able to bring the secret into the light, but you also need that place to be a place of real healing that leads towards forgiveness And Mm -hmm. that's maybe the issue that where we could start to have a difficulty with maybe listeners who are going, wait a second, let's not go to forgiveness yet. I don't think that's even either possible or, you know, what are you talking about? So can we talk about that, the issue that of, of the necessity for somewhere in this journey of healing for there to be forgiveness? Yeah, yeah. If you want to address that, yeah, go for it. And I guess the first question related to that is, is it okay to be at a place where you're not ready to forgive? Or um, because the Bible says we have to forgive, is that does that mean, mean immediately, even if I'm in a place of great pain and anger, that I have to forgive right now? Yeah. We get this question a lot from wives, so I would love to address that. because, um, And the way I usually respond to that is I, I say, well, listen, the, the one passage that's brought out a lot of times by pastors or even well-meaning family members or something that's trying to to help somebody get through the pain of their abuse or, or their betrayal is where we're told to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Mm-hmm. And it's like real plain, right? Forgive as Christ. But I always like to point out that phrase, as Christ has forgiven you. And then I ask the question, how did that occur? 
And I point out that in the scope of all of human history, sin came into our experience over 4,000 years before Jesus came on the scene. So hmm. even in terms of from God's perspective, there was a time period in there from the time that the offense occurred to, to the time that the delivering of the fullness of forgiveness occurred. And so I'm not saying that it's going to take 4,000 years, but <laughs> I am saying that that gives a person that has been wounded the freedom to recognize there's a time element and a process to going from the recognition and uh, and um, understanding of the offense to the culmination of the offering of forgiveness. And mm -hmm. so there doesn't need to be the sense of pressure of immediacy. But I do think there needs to be the sense that apart from going through that process of coming to an eventual place of forgiveness, you will remain in the bondage of that offense. Yeah. Yeah. What would um, you say to that? How would you respond to that issue of forgiveness and time and all of that? Yeah, I think uh, what you said is really true. And I've worked with women, I'm sure that you have, who forgive too soon. Mm -hmm. um, in some ways, that's almost a form of denial. Um, like, let's say, for example, your husband has been unfaithful. And in the very next breath, after finding out, you say, I'm hurt, but I forgive you. We'll move forward. Yeah. Um, you don't even really at that point know what you're forgiving because it takes time um, to uncover the feelings of betrayal and trust and anger and, um, you know, like, was our whole marriage a sham and mm -hmm. why did you lie to me? And, um, and people that forgive too quickly really aren't even knowing what they're letting go of and what they're forgiving. So uh, I definitely think there's a process. I've never thought about it in terms of the thousands of years of humanity before Christ came, where there was a foreshadow of yeah. complete redemption, but it wasn't a reality. So that's a, a great point. Um, you know, Jonathan, one thing I wanted to ask you from a woman's perspective, going back a little bit to our original conversation some women don't have a hard time with saying all men are bad, all men are pigs, but they may believe male sexuality is a bad thing. Mm. Um, like, I love my husband, or I know some great godly men, but the aspect of their sexuality is what causes all the problems. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's probably more common than the blanket statement that men are bad. Yeah. Um, and I guess there's a lot of evidence to support that. And um, even probably within the, the brotherhood, men feel like, wow, this one aspect of, of my humanity, it's a gift. But on the other hand, it's a curse because it leads me to sin. It's led me to hurt people. Um, how do we find a right perspective about male sexuality in the midst of this? That's a great question. And the first place my mind goes to is there's almost like a domino effect that I think leads maybe to that conclusion for for maybe many women that feel like there's something sort of maybe inherently wrong about male sexuality because it has all this potential for all these negative things. And I think part of that domino effect, certainly we obviously have sin and sin nature, but I think pornography is huge in training up so many men to have a taker's mentality towards a consumer mentality towards sexuality. And then when you think about just the, the, the physical power of men and then also the natural 
drivenness of the testosterone in the male body, you start putting that whole concoction together of physical strength, testosterone drive, and pornography training, you have a recipe for a lot of hurt, even mm -hmm. if it's not technically what we would call abuse. Even in a even in a marriage relationship where there's not abuse going on, there can be this sense of um, objectification that's felt by a wife because he's been, maybe unbeknownst to her, he's been trained by pornography to look at her as somebody to just meet his physical desires. And so I think we have to start pulling apart those ingredients and recognize that, first of all, um, the way God made our bodies is good. The fact that we have testosterone as men is good. There's a whole lot of good that can come from that, apart from even sexuality in terms of just drive and those kinds of things. The fact our, our physical stature and power, that's good. That helps with protection and all other kinds of things. The issue that's at play here is um, what's training us as men? What voices are we listening to? And so I think that's where the major shift needs to occur. It's not that there is something inherently wrong or negative within our form as men in terms of being a sexual being. It's, it's really in our training and our application of that form. So we've been trained by pornography, and so therefore we're going to take this body that God gave us and we're going to then just apply it in that way, which is very much of a taker's mentality. If we shift the training, we start saying, let me listen to what God has to say. Let me listen to God's voice. What ends up happening is, oh my goodness, it shifts all the outcomes. Because now this testosterone, this physical power, all these kinds of things can be used in a way that serve a wife, that, that give to a wife, that please a wife. And, all, and, and, so I, and this goes back to your original point of, hey, how do, how do men respond to these blanket statements sometimes of, you know, hey, all men are pigs or whatever? I think this also goes to the reality that there are women out there, there are wives out there that are seeing what godly sexuality can produce in a marriage. And it's not a negative thing. It doesn't cause that woman to think there's something inherently wrong in my man. There's something inherently mm -hmm. wrong in his sexuality. So we also need to know that there's women out there that are experiencing what godly sexuality can look like in a man. And it's good. Yeah, um, that is absolutely true. Uh, I think who we're talking to, though, are probably the women who are saying, I've never experienced that. Exactly, yeah. Um, even though, again, I, I might really love my husband, and there's aspects of him uh, where he's a great guy, he's kind to our children, that sort of thing. But in the bedroom, in our sexual relationship, I feel that taker mentality. You know, I feel... Um, I feel I don't feel that he's protecting me or he's really trying to please me, and um, and like you said, good men have been trained by culture, been trained by pornography to view sex um, and objectify women without even realizing it. So, how how would a woman who's in that situation, like how would she even get her husband's attention that this is an issue? Well. Um... I'll try to answer that, but I want to ask the exact same question to you because, okay. you know, your ministry deals with women. So I'd love to know how you would respond to a woman <laughs> in that situation. I will respond as if, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a man. So how I would think that that would help 
to get me to sort of wake up to the reality that I've got a taker's mentality. Um, you know, one of the things that men are very unwilling to admit is just how fragile our egos are. Mm -hmm. We're way more fragile than women. Yes, I said it. Go ahead. It's, it's recorded. <laughs> I mean, really, when it comes to sort of there's a there's kind of an emotional aspect to our lives as men where we're incredibly, if I can put it in these terms, delicate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so sometimes certain words or certain behaviors from our wives can just send us into a complete emotional spiral because it so emasculates us as men. And so the, the worst way I think a woman could respond to this is to just come right out and say, you're a taker. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a taker <laughs> in the bedroom. You Because sometimes, keep in mind, a lot of this training that's gone on in our culture and pornography and these other things that men are so influenced by is something that he's just sort of absorbed. And so sometimes he is ignorant to the implications that that has had within his sexual relationship in his marriage. Some guys are conscious of it. Most guys are not. Most guys are yeah. not conscious that when they go into the bedroom that they're being a taker, that they're being selfish. But so one of the things I think that can happen is I think a woman can come and say, you know what, I... I actually desire for us to have the best possible relationship on all levels, sexually, emotionally, mentally. I feel like we're not there. Do you think we could maybe get some help in that regard? Maybe see a counselor, maybe read a book, you know, just to introduce the idea from the standpoint that she wants us to be the best. Because guess what? That sort of plays to a man's ego in a good way. What man mm -hmm. doesn't want to be the best, right? So. Right. It, it, in in some ways, so it's not it's not pointing out the negatives. It's saying let's push forward to greater positives. So that's I think one way that I think could could be helpful for a wife to introduce the idea that you know there needs to be work in this area. I want to know what you would say though. I want to know how you would respond to a wife in that situation because I'm sure you've heard that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would respond in a lot of the same ways that you just said. Um, you know, talk about. Um, and one of the things that I teach wives is that your power to influence your marriage is not rooted in what you need from him, but what he needs from you. Mm. Um, and so one of a man's greatest needs is this need of feeling competent, um, you know, feeling like you believe in him. And so when we're critical of our husbands, we're using that power in a way that's negative instead of using it in a way that's positive. So, um, so we'll talk to women about really wanting um, their husband to feel like you're on their team and that you want him to be the best that he can be. And so framing it in that way. And the other thing is recognizing that men typically are very interested in the sexual relationship. Yeah. So instead of saying, hey, can we go get some counseling? If a woman says to her husband, you know, I'd really like to work on our sex life the next three or four months, would you be up for that? You know, just take specific time um, to be together and learn each other's bodies and just really get good at this. Then you're really capturing two things that that speak to him. First of all, becoming great at something. And second of all, the sexual relationship. So um, mm -hmm. and then using resources like this kind of podcast, like books, um, and if needed, if you're running into barriers, um, addressing things through counseling. But those are the kind of advice that we would give women. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not the negative. It's it's calling him to be a hero, essentially. Yeah. 
Well, I know we're almost out of time and, and I want to kind of circle all the way back around and then certainly let our listeners get information about how to contact you and your ministry. Um, I, I feel like since we started this uh, episode out really kind of talking about Me Too and abuse and harassment, those kind of things, and then sort of ending up here where we're talking about how to get, you know, healthier sexual relationships in the bedroom with your spouse. I don't want there to be any sense that that this is how quickly a person can travel from the pain and difficulty of long held abuse and struggle all the way to this. You know, it's kind of like when you watch a 30 minute sitcom episode and everything gets resolved in 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that the listeners know, listen, this is a long process. If you're if you're just maybe you're still in the dark about your your abuse and you need places to to unpack that. Well, we want to invite you to to reach out because um, you, it, we want you to start that process. But uh, share with our listeners any closing comments that you might have and then also how they can get in touch with you and your and your ministry. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you said that, Jonathan. And, you know, part of we have traveled a lot of ground in a short period of time. But some of it is helping people realize that sexual woundedness doesn't happen in a vacuum, mm -hmm. that it impacts how you view the world, how you view relationships, even how you view God. Um, and and so going towards healing is not just I want to get rid of the memories of what happened to me, but it's looking at how has this impacted my view of men how has it impacted intimacy and uh, and my marriage? Um, so that's what our ministry is about. I know that's what your heart is as well. And um, people can connect to us through AuthenticIntimacy.com. You can find all of our resources there. Awesome. Well, Julie, thank you so much for being with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Well, thanks for having me. And listeners, we're always glad that you're with us, and we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.